0: Welcome to podcast with Cooper Cherry. Uh, We're doing another um, film today with Andrew Stamper. Uh, I think we're just going to continue doing a series of these every once in a while, whenever we can squeeze them in. So uh, today we're going to be tackling American Psycho. But uh, first of all, Andrew, I forgot to even welcome you to the show. Hey, what's going (laughs) on, man? Uh, not much. Um, I had the opportunity to watch this movie like three times. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> once with like, once just straight, you know, just the movie and then a couple of times with director commentary okay. on and then there was commentary from one of the uh, co-writers of the screenplay. Mm-hmm. So I've got a lot of shit on this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this I'm, movie, I'm looking man. forward to it. Yeah.
1: We're going to have to come up with like with the name for this new series because it's no right. longer really a best film series. Not that I this mean, movie... it kind of is. I, I mean, I mean, it.
0: I think maybe. we could still go with that. maybe. Yeah,
1: it's like movie appreciation with Cooper
0: Cherry cuz I'm still going to like most of the I mean, yeah, I, I doubt think,
1: we're going to be tackling any films that we that we just don't like. we just that are just bad yeah. terrible that we hate. Yeah. So, um
0: I'm, The English Patient, <laughs> right? What were we talking about the other day? Shakespeare in Love perhaps? Yeah, yeah, Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> Overrated, but um I guess we can sort of start out with a synopsis of the film for mm-hmm. those who haven't mm-hmm. seen mm-hmm. and that's tough to do, I think. In yeah, this I'm really case. interested really. to see what your synopsis on this one is <laughs> going to be. Uh, I'm going to totally botch this synopsis here, I think, because uh, I, it's hard to even. I think
1: I think the best way to tackle it is really just the blanket synopsis without trying to find like the deeper meaning. Oh yeah, and, you definitely. know, is just to kind of like, all right, you know, we've got this investment banker uh, story.
0: Yeah, so we Patrick Bateman is our. I guess, protagonist yeah. here. <laughs> protagonist in a very, like, loose yes, sense. right. Uh, what's the reverse of a euphemism? Uh, or, or no, I guess that is a euphemism, right? To call him a protagonist? hmm Mm-hmm. But so we meet Patrick Bateman, uh, sort of a Wall Street executive of some kind, and we sort of meet him going about his morning routine and his work life, his his play life, and then his psychotic life his murderous life he kills homeless people he kills co-workers he kills women. random random women hookers dogs um plenty more in the book that this is actually based wants to on. feed a cat to a yeah, atm to. i mean who hasn't right um you know i considered it last night after a few <laughs> drinks but uh luckily no cats were available so <laughs> yeah that's a good thing um so yeah we kind of trace his life and exploits and that's that's probably i mean nothing he's not, not caught this is not a traditional i think serial killer style film this is
1: more of i don't know like a almost like a morality play or like a satire yeah i mean it's kind of just a like a snapshot on like the wall street like excess of the 80s is really kind of like with this film's kind of really focusing on certainly and but I mean what you just said is really the you know the nuts and bolts of the of the plot right you've got this this Wall Street executive that's going through his detached life and things get a little interesting with um, when somebody that he kills or may may or may not have killed goes missing and this detective comes and asks questions about hey you know, what, you know, when was the last you saw or heard, you know, from this person. And, and then you just watch Patrick Bateman's uh, life kind of spiral. Patrick Bateman played by Christian Bale and um, I mean, one of many of his outstanding performances, I mean uh, just fantastic, but yeah, you just watch his journey as his life kind of unravels, but it's really, really important to, to kind of, note what's going on with the society oh, kind of around him, at least in the in the in the Wall Street sense. And because that, that's really, really imperative to the the story uh that 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 we're that we're watching.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that ethos of sort of the Wolf of Wall Street um kind of fits here to some degree. All, mm-hmm. Although maybe, maybe to it's a logical conclusion Yeah, a whole lot less lewds in this one, but with a lot more killing. <laughs> get the lewds. <laughs> fucking lewds.
1: I'm not fucking leaving.
0: I could use a lewd right now. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. But what else? Uh, I feel like, oh yeah, Wall Street actually. Like the Gordon Gekko greed is good. Like mm-hmm, that's sort mm-hmm, of the yep. milieu that we're, we're in with uh, and that is being satirized. But let's go ahead and dive in. First thing I'd like to discuss is obviously this film is based on a book. A very controversial book by Brett Easton Ellis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the uh, sort of Post-loosely postmodern authors, along with people like Don DeLillo and, um, you know, I'm trying to think the other guy um, who wrote V and Vineland and all of that stuff from the 60s, Gravity's Rainbow, Thomas Pynchon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's sort of along those lines, but uh, Irvin Welsh maybe even mm-hmm. is kind of like yeah. in that group too. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely a very controversial book when it came out, a lot of uh, backlash for being very misogynistic and a book that I have actually read and I maybe should put read in in quotes because the book has insane amounts of detail about the, what people are wearing pages on (laughs) pages of detail. So uh, eventually I grew frustrated with reading all of that. I'm not a, I'm not one who likes a lot of that style of writing where there's excessive detail period. Mm -hmm. I like the really short snappy dialogue, like the, the Palinic style dialogue. Right. Um, is kind of my, my jam, but yeah, I kind of grew tired of reading all that. So I would just skim through to the really gruesome mm-hmm. murders, which yeah. are, you know, multiplied times 10 in the book. But now,
1: are you familiar with any of his other like work, like less than zero or glamorama or uh, what is it? Rules of attraction or anything of that nature.
0: I read less than zero. Okay. But it, I don't know that I liked it.: Yes, yeah. I don't know. His books are, although they can, there's an element of satire, mm-hmm. they're not funny. <laughs> no. I mean, n-
1: none of them are funny. Um, if
0: they're I don't know, they're, well. I have a pretty dark sens- sensibility when it comes to humor, and it's like it, they are just grim. Yeah. And, and, but in a different way, though, I think than, because you know I'm thinking about Cormac McCarthy his novels it's a different are, it's yeah. they're grim but that's yeah. like a different sort of yeah this is just like i don't know just human debauchery and just yeah i mean
1: because his his novels the, the world that he puts us in i don't i mean the you know where you know where you're watching somebody's i mean they're all every novel you're watching really one character's life really spiral out of control but the the world around them are some really really seedy places i mean i mean we're watching a movie about like wall street people but this is some sketch you know uh places that they're that they're filming less than zero obviously what that was an la story i think yeah um and again some serious seedy like underbellies of of people with money yeah the prestige class mm -hmm, or the bourgeois if you will but yeah uh
0: so well of course less than zero was made into a film with andrew mccarthy and um
1: robert Downey jr
0: which uh, I haven't I think I've seen bits and pieces of Oh it.
1: dude uh, James Spader plays yeah, you that's know right. like uh, classic 80s James Spader uh, where he's just a horrible human being <laughs> um and I think Jamie Gertz is the the female lead in that Jamie Gertz is uh, uh close to my heart she's a co-owner of my Atlanta Hawks Oh really uh, well she married one, yeah she married one of the uh the, actually she, part of the reason why I don't think she really is really acted much I don't know I'm am talking on my ass. I, I I don't know why she doesn't act as much anymore. Um, but yeah, she married uh, to a wealthy like business like entrepreneur that uh, was part of like the, the like the new ownership group with um her husband Grant Hill and maybe somebody else that now own the Atlanta Hawks.
0: Interesting. You know what's funny? It's funny that you mentioned her because I was just watching um the Lost, Lost Boys. Boys. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, dude, how, how
1: how great is that movie? Still, I'm it's just, a
0: fantastic movie. I'm.
1: I wanna be Kiefer Sutherland from Lost Boys. Yeah. Like that aesthetic is yeah. it's on flea. Dude. Point, man. Yeah. I mean we w we're gonna get to American Psycho, but <laughs> uh yeah, I wanna stop and talk about how badass Kiefer Sutherland was in well many films in the 80s, but especially The Lost Boys. Um And then less than zero was also made into a film and i forget
0: who directed it, it might have been roger avery who co-wrote mm. pulp fiction mm i think you're right
1: but i i but I, I i can't i can't back that up but that sounds right that sounds right but i can't it's, go ahead and take you know a, you know and so
0: that was on that one. james vanderbeek shannon salsamon um a few other rules of attraction rules of attraction yeah that's
1: yeah. that um yeah so that sounds right that Avery did that film. Yes, that yeah. I'm I'm about eighty five percent certain yeah. that's who did it. And again, another pretty bleak film. Um, but the Vanderbeek man, he rocked it. And he's actually Patrick Bateman's brother. Yep, in that
0: in that film. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a continuity. And I forget if he shows up in the book or not. But I feel like we meet Bateman's mother and maybe the brother character. But it's been a long time yeah
1: yeah when after after i saw this film and i had seen less than zero because i watched everything with kind of like brat pack actors i was in for a rude awakening when i saw less than zero when i was like 10 years old uh seeing robert downey jr being forced into like male prostitution all right good times 10 year old me like uh what am i watching but um yeah so after after when this movie came out i went ahead and just re-read, or read, like, all of, like, uh, Bridey's and Alice's work at that time, and, yeah. Um, Grim is probably a good way that we kind of painted it earlier. I
0: don't know, it's sort of these, like, really frail, I don't know, just seediness characters, like, these are all major character flaws, a lot of drugs, and just, I don't know, there's something really dark about that mm-hmm. in a different way than other darks things that I like.
1: Yeah. Not that I'm completely against seeing people that are completely entitled have their <laughs> lives, uh, you know, uh, thrown down the drain, but it's still it makes for painful watching. Yeah, there's something about
0: that, like you know, like you are mentioning Downey Jr.'s character selling himself into prostitution. I mean, that is something about that kind of stuff just it messes me up worse, I think, than something that's like relentlessly nihilistic, even. You know, something like No mm-hmm. Country for Old Men or right. or something along those lines. It's so pretty thing, dark, but yeah, it's... Yeah, but I don't stuff know,
1: like Less Than Zero or, what was it, Requiem for a Dream, Aronofsky. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's those are harder yeah. for some reason. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a different... It, it, well, it's a different journey, obviously, but it, it, there's... Because one of the things that you always want to talk about in any character that you're kind of following is, right, there, there's, like, this level of empathy that you want to have for the people that you're watching. So when you see things like that, it's it, it's pain—it's it, it, just very, very jarring and unnerving and not in a pleasant way. It reminds me of, like, this foreign film that I saw years ago. It's called Irreversible, and it stars Monica Bellucci, the, the beautiful, beautiful Monica Bellucci. But the movie's done backwards, kind of like Memento, but— there's this horrible, horrible scene. I, I I don't encourage anybody listening to go and watch this movie. But there was a time where I watched anything that Monica Bellucci was in, and I heard that this movie was, you know, kind of like, oh my god, you know, you you don't know what you're getting when you're watching. I'm like, well, then I have to see have to see this. No, you don't. You <laughs> you don't need to see Irreversible. There's like a five to ten minute like rape scene, and it's horrible another scene you see somebody's face get literally bashed to nothing like to the point where it's just like putty um it's it's a very very unnerving very disturbing film but it's just kind of right in kind of what we were just talking about right now which kind of why it brings uh reminds me of that but you've also read this book right yes yes i mean it's been a minute but yes Mm -hmm.
0: and you made it did you, you weren't like me and skipped through to the the gruesome murders
1: <laughs> no no I, I i read the seemingly chapters of uh, just discussing what people are wearing um and i mean it, it's kind of if you can if you can appreciate just how long that goes on i mean it really helps you understand the insanity that's going through like uh, patrick bateman and some of these other characters just their 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 materialistic like obsessions that they have And, but I'm also not going to say it's a great book. Uh, It's not a bad book. It's a cult classic, but I mean, I'm not going to go ahead and say, oh my God, you know, you need to read this (laughs) film because it's, you know, the stylistic approach. You want to read a really cool, like stylized book that that's kind of hard to follow. And with funky language, yeah. Re-trade spawning, you know, read something by Irving Walsh or, you know, what have you. But uh, let's go ahead and. And Actually talk actual about film. the movie, yeah. yeah.
0: We're here like 20 minutes in, yeah. probably, and we haven't even really discussed the movie. I don't
1: know about you, but I'm already enjoying
0: this I podcast.
1: I, I, I kind of want like booze to go with it, like, <laughs> you know, but yeah. We can uh, we can pause it up, unfortunately. <laughs> no, but uh, to start off, we'll
0: uh, go over a little bit about maybe some miscellaneous production issues. Um, Mary Heron directed the film. Mm-hmm. She had previously directed episodes of Oz, I believe the pilot, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Did she do Oz? I didn't know that. I only knew her from the uh, the film I Shot Andy Warhol. Also, she she did, definitely did the pilot of the HBO
0: series Six Feet Under as well.
1: Did not know that either.
0: And then The Notorious Betty Page was mm-hmm. another one that I remembered. Uh, the budget was $7 million. Um, and just a little bit about my own experience with this film... You know, this came out when I was like 18 or 19. And at the time, of course, I had sort of this fascination with, oh, yeah, I kind of wanted to see the film just primarily due to the sort of exploitative element of it. Right. And the sense of like, this is just, you know what I mean? This is maybe like a dark interest in serial killers at the time or like some like the dark kind of appeal of it alone. Like that was enough cachet for me.
1: Right to now, be I'm, sort I'm scouting of scouting <laughs> the exits uh, as he's going on talking about his obsession to Serial Kelly, um, but then I watched it and I was
0: almost like I didn't get it. I didn't quite get it at mm, first, so mm. I was a little bit honestly disgusted by it mm-hmm. at first. Like I felt a little bit morally like uh, this is this is kind of fucked up. I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. Mm-hmm. This wasn't maybe the enjoyable experience that I kind of had hoped for. But as I've grown to watch it, you know, as I, I guess I've matured, it's become more of a comedy to me than anything, mm-hmm. and I just find it really funny.
1: Apart from the, the sheer, like, insane amount of gore and blood in this movie, it is a really funny film. Yeah. I mean, there's some... I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, like, quoting the movie later on, but there's some... It has a great replay factor. I mean, you can watch this movie just for some of the, the great dialogue that's used in this movie and some really key scenes which I'll probably we'll probably get into as well like the business card scene but uh in terms of in terms of acting
0: let's we can start out with uh, Christian Bale as the lead yeah. Patrick Bateman
2: mm-hmm.
0: supposedly based his performance on an appearance that Tom Cruise had made on the late show and he described him as having some as sort of a like a s- smile, but there was something empty about in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what he portrayed. But looking back and now having listened to Brett Easton Ellis actually talk, the vocal cadence and everything very much reminds me of like the real Brett, Brett Ellis. That's kind of who Bateman sounds like mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. from Bale, which I think is really funny. Yeah. Ultimately, And I guess I I forgot to mention this, but as far as the book goes, like, how fucked up is Brett Easton Ellis? Like that guy, you. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I I mean, I definitely understand that you can separate an author from their work, but like he's, this is, there's clearly like he's so far Mm -hmm. (laughs) past the threshold that there's definitely some issues there. Right. (laughs) Uh, Let's see there was some uh, i really enjoyed the the intro scene or the credit scene with sort of the um all the food and we're getting the shots of the food and the waiters are all very elegantly spouting off these yep these uh dishes and what have you like the roast duck with mango chutney and and what have you mhm <clears throat> they start they st- we first meet Bateman though whenever he is. So I guess, do we get him in his apartment first, or do we get him amongst his friends? I
1: thought he was out with, with like Justin Thoreau and everybody. Was okay. that not? I mean, maybe I, I might be mistaken, but I thought we were introduced into the social world before we were yeah, introduced I, into his private. I'm pretty sure, but, right.
0: And he, I just remember him saying, "You spin a dreidel." <laughs> Um, there's a the scene with Reese Witherspoon in the limousine or car. Also just great. He's like, what's he saying? I'm trying to listen to the new Robert Palmer tape, but my supposed fiance, Evelyn, c- keeps
1: buzzing in my ear. It, it's, <laughs> so it's really, really like fascinating. Um, Patrick Bateman, just his, what he obsesses about and his fixation with, I mean, he he is a huge music fan, but is he like, I i don't know. I mean, even when he's talking about, there are more important things than Sri Lanka, you know, like he, he goes <laughs> right. on this whole thing of like what, what's important, but there is no actual, uh, like in flag, I mean, there there's, he's completely separate from, from actually caring about it. He's just speaking out. So even when he's talking about, um, uh, Hey, you like Huey Lewis in the news or, or if he's talking about, um, any, well, anything, he's just completely devoid of any emotion to what he's discussing, except for like when he's killing somebody.
0: Yeah. There's, it's all sort of a, his, it's all a performance essentially. Yep. Mm-hmm. A perform- performativity to it, to his whole character, his whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love that part where he, so Evelyn is kind of badgering him and she, She's like, why do you work for that company anyways? Why don't you just quit? Your father practically owns the company. So <laughs> like, I
1: can fit in, right? Like something like that? Because yeah. I want to fit in. Yeah. To fit in. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> oh, he's so good. That was just like an icy like... <clears throat> um, moving on to... We'll get back to some more scenes with Bateman, of course. But I uh, want to talk about my boy, Justin Thoreau. As Bryce, Timothy mm-hmm. Bryce... I'm a huge Thoreau fan. Yeah. The guy is amazing. Yeah, he's awesome. Brilliant actor. Really great in this. He's kind of tragically underused a little bit because it's funny that I forget who mentioned this, but Bryce is like the only interesting, like he's the most interesting person. I, I find him oh, a little bit more- Oh, in the film? More, yeah, or, to me. Okay. To me, he's a little bit more interesting than even Bateman himself. Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of feel like there's something- I don't know, there's, what's what's that guy up to at night? You yeah. know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And uh, to borrow, I don't know if you ever watch, like, it's always sunny, but to borrow something from, like, Mac and Dennis, like, who has more muscle mass, would you say? Would you say, like, um, would you say Christian Bale in this or Justin Thoreau in, um, I can't believe I forgot the name, uh, The Leftovers. I mean, they're both <laughs> shredded.
0: I think Thoreau's a little bit leaner. Mm-hmm than Bale he's got a little bit skinnier for sure right than Bale at least in this film Mm-hmm. but that slicked back hair too yeah great it's perfect he's such a great kind of like asshole as well mm-hmm.
1: and then we have uh I'm a big fan of Matt Ross as Lewis Carruthers remind me which one was he the one that turns out to be gay is that yes. okay
0: yeah that's Carruthers um He's been in a lot of different movies. Yeah, I I didn't know his parts. Yeah, Um, I mean, I guess he pulls off. And it's funny, Carruthers feels like he's almost coming from another film with his kind of bumbling. Like he's sort of the only one that I don't know. You don't have. I don't have a disdain for immediately. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't have strong negative feelings towards him the way I do about perhaps Bateman Mm -hmm. and some of the other like Van Patten. And the other guys that are just right. blatantly, you know, narcissistic and mm-hmm. misogynist. Um, of course, we have Jared, Jared Leto. Paul Allen. As Paul Allen. Yeah.
1: Oh, he's great at playing Jared
0: Yes, too. So great.
1: <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> he's so good in this. Um, it, it's not a very large role, but the five minutes on camera are really strong. I love my
0: favorite scene that he does i think is whenever he's in the they first meet him or whatever and he's like um no can do yeah I've, oh yeah i'll say it was bryce was inviting him to hey, for squash out for squash he's like alan squash and he's like no can do got an 830 res at dorsia yeah and he's like great see you ceviche and kind of does this little thing with his hand that's really funny But who else do we have? Uh, of course, Reese Witherspoon, we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Josh Lucas.
1: Uh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's in the film. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Sorry, yeah.
0: I was confusing him with, with a different actor.
1: Yeah, he's in it. Um, I always butcher her last name, but I always want to say Chloe Savegni. Yeah. Chloe Sevigny uh, plays his secretary, Jean. Um, queen of the like 80s and like. Early '90s, but she had a nice little role in this. Samantha Morton. Oh, yeah, Samantha Matthew. Wait, Mathis. Mathis. Yeah. So wasn't that, I'm pretty sure that was a homegirl from Pump Up the Volume, which is like an old Christian Bale movie.
0: She was in. Um, she was the love interest in or whatever in. What's the movie with uh, um, Slater, Christian Slater, and uh, fucking?
1: She was in another John one? Travolta. Oh, she was also in Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow. Is yeah. It? Yeah, you want to see a you want to see a crazy dude smoke cigarettes? Watch John <laughs> Travolta and Broken Arrow, just like just weird watching him smoke cigarettes on camera. I don't even smoke, but I know there's something <laughs> weird and not right about how he does it. <laughs> right. Uh, and then we're we're fitting. We're, I mean, we're we're forgetting Willem Dafoe, who's in this movie too, as Donald Kimball, the uh, private investigator. Is there anyone? Oh yeah.
0: uh damn it. I'll have to I probably have his name here somewhere, but they're the homeless guy.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. He uh oh shoot, what is his name? He's been in so much, but I remember him as like the barbecue dude from um that president uh that Kevin Spacey show on Netflix uh with Oh Rob yeah, and I. okay.
0: I gotcha. Um, that always didn't they always exchange like the catchphrases back and forth? Or is it, what the, what is that? No, never mind. That's something else. That's a
1: different movie, but I know that I know that movie. What is that? Um But anyway, uh, so yeah, that guy was—he's been in so much. But yeah, he plays in that. Uh, someone else is oh, completely random. But one of the prostitutes in the movie, the the blonde-haired prostitute, she—I don't know her name—but she was recently on, like the most recent season of or the previous season, one of the last two seasons of Arrested Development as um, Tobias's like methadone like actress friend um so she was she played the prostitute the blonde prostitute in this and she plays like a methadone like a method like yeah methadone addict in arrested development
0: Gwenever turner is the redheaded i think elizabeth is her name that gets killed along with um the prostitute i forget what her name is what was her name damn it
1: <laughs> yeah like i forget the names that he gave him
0: her name, I think her name was Christy. Yeah, Christy, I think. But I don't know if she ever gave her actual name or if he just mm-hmm. called her Christy. Anyhow, I think that's all sort of the principal name sort of actors that I can remember off the top of my head.
1: And I think you just indirectly touched on something that's like the bigger picture also in this movie are names are really irrelevant in this film or or your names are or they're very significant depending on how you want to look at it because of the fact that so mistaken identity or people being called something entirely different or given names that aren't theirs so obviously christian Mills calling these prostitutes names that aren't theirs uh, Paul Allen calls Christian Bale's character not uh, Bateman but Haverstram. Um, yeah, so I mean, this is just kind of like a recurring theme throughout the film.
0: So I'd like to go through, I guess, some of my favorite acting scenes. I should say, um, one of the early scenes that I kind of like when Bale is at the cleaners, and he's <laughs> kind with, of- the, with the with Bloody sheets? With the bloody sheets, cr- Cran Apple, of course, <laughs> who hasn't spilled the Cran Apple on their white, you know, thousand count, thousand threat count Egyptian sheets. And he's sort of yelling at the, at the, I guess the proprietors of this, this dry cleaning place. And he does this weird, really maniacal, like hand waving, like up and down when he's like, ah, yeah, it's so bizarre. And you just wonder what place does this come from? I don't know, just a really interesting little, physical tick that he did mm-hmm. and quarter, sort of, I don't know, almost like hamming it up a little bit mm-hmm. or as like a almost campy to a degree. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's he weird. does it
1: a couple times in the movie. Not, not that, but where he does this kind of campy tick, obviously when, before he kills, uh, Paul Allen, but you know, when he's playing with the ax and in the raincoat and everything, he does a, he does a similar gesture where he's kind of dancing. In the uh, oh yeah, in the apartment. Of
0: course, we you know we mentioned the famous business card scene, which is masterfully done. Mm-hmm. I mean, the look on his face, and I listened to the director commentary, and Mary heron basically said that somehow Bale could essentially make himself sweat on demand. Like he would always like they would reach certain parts of scenes where he's you know he's frequently I think sweating. Mm-hmm. in several of these scenes, and he could basically make himself do it on command.
1: That's awesome. But I'm not remotely surprised. <laughs> um,
0: one of the great scenes with Thoreau is whenever they're doing cocaine in the bathroom, <laughs> and he gets, like, somebody in the next stall is like, could you, could you keep keep it down? I'm trying to do drugs, or whatever. He's like, <laughs> Thoreau gets gets crazy, and he's like, we're trying we're blah 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 that's that is okay if it's with the asshole next all or something like mm-hmm. that that was pretty funny um i actually randomly too found out that there was a continuity error in that scene they were wearing different um suits in that scene than the previous scenes mm. and they just went ahead and and went with the edit and they, they talk went, about no it on the commentary com- yeah she yeah. mentioned it in the commentary <laughs> And I didn't even notice. Even after she pointed it out, I was like, eh, I guess I'd have to go back and watch. Yeah. uh, The really, you mentioned this line earlier, though, coming from Paul Allen when when he's, or maybe this is when they're having dinner, I think is the scene where he's like, I could tell you, Halberstrom, but I'd have to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, the deadpan crazy shit that Bale's spouting at him, like, do you know I like to dissect girls? Did you know I'm utterly insane? <laughs> and,
1: and then just l- like, l- like, the waiter says something like, do you want to know? And he's like, not if you want to keep your sh- uh, your not spleen. Not
0: if you want to keep your spleen. And then Al- Alan's like, all this is kind of going over his head and he's complimenting um, Bateman on his tan and says that he's got a tanning bed at home, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. He asks about Cecilia, mm-hmm. which is... Haverstram's... Uh, I guess, yeah. Haversham's. Haversham, yeah, and then Bateman says she's having dinner with Evelyn Williams, which is his actual yep. actual girlfriend. Who? Uh, let's see. And then Alan kind of calls Bateman a dork. <laughs> <laughs> what a dork! <laughs> Thought that was so funny. What a hilarious scene. And then the real the another great moment with those two is, of course, the Paul Allen murder, mm-hmm. where. um to hip to be square. So what a good.
1: It's such a great <laughs> scene. I love that scene so much. Just the way that, you know, I mean, it's similar to like in the book, just like the the detail of him going over um, you know, the album and that song and and just Huey Lewis in the news uh all the you know, all the while he's you know, he's putting on the raincoat and grabbing the axe and dancing across the the apartment and then Hey Paul And then he He really does camp
0: it up so much, but it works, which Mm -hmm. is so interesting that the campiness kind of just fits that, especially that little like goofy dance he does as he's like (laughs) Mm -hmm. talking about the song. And then he like points at the stereo. That's so crazy. Um, Another little funny moment that I love about that scene is when, so Alan notices that Bateman has put down a bunch of uh, copies of the, I think the New York times style section. Mm -hmm. He's like, do you, do you have a dog? Maybe a little chow? <laughs> the way he says it is so great. Uh, the call to the lawyer later on in the film that Bale does. I about like his
1: breakdown yeah, at the, where he's at totally the end. Yeah.
0: Breaking down. He's like, I killed Paul Allen with an axe in the face. <laughs> his body is probably dissolving in a bathtub somewhere in Hell's Kitchen. He's like, I even um I ate some of their brains, and I tried to cook a little. Tonight, I just had to kill a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) The way his voice, I I had to kill a lot of people. Like, where the fuck did he even come up with? Mm -hmm. That's like, it's such an interesting way to play it, you know what I mean? Because most people, and I think Mary Heron actually mentioned this too in the director's commentary about how, like, he couldn't ham it up enough. Like, he always wanted to make it seem really dorky and... And le- and not threatening or not, like, cool. Like, most yeah. of the time, you feel like serial killers want to be very cool and, like, mm-hmm. badass, right? Or sort of, if not sort of the Hannibal Lecter, the very, like, calm and mm-hmm. intellectual type. Or just the, like, crazy badass type, you know what I mean? There's not really an example that of like this where it's sort of this really, I don't know, goofy, dorky, weird behavior. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's the brilliance of it, is the contrast. And I think that definitely the soundtrack achieves a lot of that, too. Mm-hmm. And Mary Heron re- definitely re- commented on that, about how the, the I guess, happier or the brighter sounding the songs, the more that it actually worked against set against the violence. Mm-hmm. It was a great soundtrack, though.
1: Like, for you know, making jokes on whether it's uh, Huey Lewis in the news or Whitney Houston or what was the other one? Um, Oh, uh,
0: In the Air Tonight, Phil Collins. Yeah, Phil
1: Collins, that's right. Um, There's some really good, it has a pretty solid soundtrack. I think there's some good New Order and some other like really good bands from that era. I think I even had it on CD once upon a time. I really like that album.
0: I still, there's some quotes from that Kind of confession too that are really funny. He's like, I mean, I guess I'm a pretty sick guy, <laughs> but I might show up at Harry's bar. So keep your eyes open. <laughs> so good. What about you? What are um what are some of the acting moments that stood out?
1: So obviously we already covered the the Paul Allen murder. We've covered the business card scene. I love that. Some of the some of the things I like are just understanding his character, which like my favorite line in the movie, and I'm, I'm not going to get the entire thing because it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's part of within one of his many monologues, but there is an idea of Patrick Bateman, some kind of um, an abstraction. Yeah. But, but there is no real me, but there is no real me. And I, I mean, that's really, I mean, again, I, I kind of spoke about how everybody's names are kind of like tossed around and that that's, that's just it. I mean, you know, he's called something entirely different by uh Jared Leto. He's called, you know, his, his own attorney thinks <laughs> he has a different name. That's the best part. Yeah. Um and and then you know, he's giving other people different names and everybody has a different identity. So this whole this whole notion that there is no real him set within this world is great especially when everybody's own identity is so important when you juxtapose it with your own business card because it's your name, but they all say vice president, every single one of them. So they're all the same person. So it it just, it's a bit of dialogue that I think just really, really kind of sums up the, the bigger picture of this film. We'll definitely get into
0: that later. And I think, sorry, I I probably, (laughs) well, I don't want to spoil too much just yet. It's, it's here in this film. I felt a lot, it was harder to like separate. Okay. What, there were so many scenes that it was like the acting and the writing were both like in sync. So mm-hmm. I kind of like, I think I deferred to writing right. for some of the scenes. That's why my acting scenes are so kind of sparse.
1: Um, I also did enjoy the the running through the building with the the chainsaw <laughs> and like the, the sneakers. That was classic. Um, the, when he doesn't kill... His Jean, secretary, yeah, yeah. When he doesn't kill her, I love that, because um, seemingly that she's the only person in the film that really actually cares for him, and he treats her like shit, you know. But she she has this element of that that she does care for him, which is why like the final reveal actually does mean something because you know her, with her looking at uh, the journal the confession doesn't mean something, you know, I mean, uh, he might not be telling her, but there, there is a form of of confession and she sees, you know, how tortured he is. And so I, I, I think that's just a really, really beautiful like moment when we pair it with everything that's happening around him. I think it's interesting
0: in that scene where Gene uncovers his little notebook with all the macabre drawings is some of them were some of the murders that occurred in the book. Mm-hmm. particularly the most gruesome murder in the book. I definitely saw an illustration of that. And I don't even want to get, I don't know if I want even
1: want to mention yeah, I'm that. I'm trying murder. to, I'm trying to remember it. Like I said, it's been, you know, a shoot decade and a half since I've, but I'll, well, I'll, go I'll just ahead come and- out with it, man. We'll
0: just do it. The most gruesome murder in the book is he starves a rat mm. in a cage for, I don't, remember how long what the duration was and then while this i believe it was a prostitute is still alive he takes a vacuum cleaner tube and shoves it inside of her and then release puts the rat in the tube <laughs> which is just i don't that's just really fucked up yeah. man that's like oh
1: and i remember it's part of the reason why there was so much like backlash as well yeah oh yeah of course it's yep. super m- misogynistic and then later then on blacked it
0: out from my memory <laughs> right and then later on, I think her corpse is still there, like it's sort of partially decayed and the rat's still like scurrying around through in the like wreckage of the corpse or like something still in the apartment. There was, I remember some vague visual of that, like I can't get that visual out of my head mm-hmm. after reading this book, like, I don't know, 10, oh, it's probably 15 years ago at this point. But uh, what else in terms of just pure acting? Uh, pure
1: that- acting. Pure acting. I, I really quite enjoy the breakup scene. Uh, that really (laughs) good call. (laughs) Good call. That uh, is a great scene. So, uh, the breakup scene between Bateman and Reese Witherspoon is, it's like the exact opposite, uh, breakup scene from that we have from like the social network. Um, but it's similar idea, you know, where they're, where they're just, you know, out and, and the breakup happens. But, uh, so I, I like that. And you're
0: just not terribly important to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then she offered, she said,
0: my friends are your friends. and mm-hmm. I, I don't care. You can have them. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. You can have them. <laughs> and um, one of the things that he just says a couple times in, in the movie is just one of my favorite things is I have to return some videotapes. I love that. I do too. Yeah.
0: That used to be a common refrain in my, uh, in my arsenal. Really? I don't use it enough. Anymore,
1: yeah. We're just going to bring that bon- bring that one back, especially
0: now since it has like zero relevance. <laughs> yeah. it's even, it even makes it better. It's it's more funny now that there aren't videotapes oh, or blockbusters
1: or yeah. any of that shit anymore. Yeah, no blockbusters. Um The it's 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 another great line, um but where he's like, I'm I'm into murders and executions mostly, and then the the, the chick listening is like mergers and acquisitions. Do you like it? Yeah,
0: because most guys that I hear. Are mergers and acquisitions don't like it
1: yeah yeah i'm a big fan of that across the board i mean there's some really really great stuff when it's not horrible um yeah i mean it it's just a yeah i mean it's a weird weird twisted comedy this movie but also but also very very sad and disturbing and deranged
0: I think it works, though. It'd be one thing, like, there's... It doesn't strive for such a realism, you know what I mean? If it was really going for, um, I don't know, the typical kind of serial... Like, there's a there's a certain element of camp, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like things like we don't actually see them really doing any work. Like, there's... I don't know. I feel like there's... Uh, this way that they went about crafting the film didn't try... I don't know. It's I, It's doesn't have that realistic feel like we're mm-hmm. trying to portray this person as even a real, like there's, I don't know, an element of, I don't want to say it's not magical realism, but I don't know. It's like I said, it kind of a morality play almost. There's yeah. a difference to the style mm-hmm. in a, in a narrative and sort of in that sense. Yeah. So I don't feel as bad for liking it, <laughs> but uh, I would delve into some of the cinematography i don't have a lot to say i don't
1: really have a lot other yeah. than just you know i the the chainsaw just i i like just him you know i, I think that's a it's a cool shot but uh, um there's really nothing in the business card scene just the way that that is kind of framed i think that looks really nice but there's nothing really beautiful i think um about it that I really have much to say about the cinematography.
0: Before I forget, I have to mention this. is uh, Okay, so in the business card scene, you remember they have those sort of metal, metallic yep. business card mm-hmm. things. that They sort of flip open. Interesting thing I learned in the uh, director's commentary was they had used unsheathing swords to create that sound. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I mean, it sounds which like, is great. Yeah,
0: it's a great sound effect. Yeah. So sound oh, the, design yep. and Foley artists are fucking mm-hmm. on the money with that. That was beautiful. Yep. But the uh, the DP of this was Andre Sekula. He had done he had shot Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Hackers. Those were He didn't. He's done more stuff, but those were kind of the standouts. You you see Hackers? I've I don't know that I've ever seen the whole thing
1: mm-hmm. all the way through, but I've seen a lot of it you want to you want to laugh go (laughs) go back and rewatch that and just see how dated oh yeah the technology yeah well the technology in films is always well not just like just the whole idea of hacking oh yeah Um, that too yeah i guess it's sort of like yeah it's just so archaic compared. you know for like what uh just what the internet was in shoot i guess 1993 when i saw that movie but i knew that homegirl was gonna have a big career um and I thought Matthew Lillard would too. <laughs> I, I I was half right, but
0: yeah. Overall, I don't think the most beautifully shot film. But there are definitely a handful of moments that really stand out. But yeah, it's kind of there's not a lot of um, flourish here. It's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty typical standard filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Herron said she they looked at a lot of uh, Kubrick's work. Which I think, I can definitely see that sort mm-hmm. of cold element to the cinematography. Lots of deep focus, um, a, sort of a crystalline visual aesthetic, is what she referred to it as. It actually reminded me too, specifically, a lot of Eyes Wide Shut. Certain aspects of Eyes Wide Shut, just the look of it. There's a yeah. Weird, there's
1: a weird. I, I I can see. I can see that. I wouldn't have otherwise I like, put that together but I can see that. The
0: opening sequence was actually shot late late in production and they almost they really didn't have the budget to shoot everything so there was actually more food that looked amazing according to Mary Heron um and she was said she was going because they were sort of the raspberry sauce that drips mm-hmm. and she wanted to kind of Use that as sort of this kind of wink and nod about like yes this there's like yes this is kind of a standard for blood but yet there's sort of an element of play here right. in the film right and sort of kind of making fun of that you're kind of subverting that expectation which I think is a pretty and of course it was beautiful I mean I think I can I can literally see in my head right now the way that the they had sliced these strawberries mm-hmm. so elegantly and they were just laid out perfectly yep. and the food just looks amazing. And I, th- I really enjoy, too, the way we get these, you know, sort of uh, eye of God shots moving across the tables of f- or the plates of food. Mm-hmm. It looks really cool. Now I'm getting hungry. <laughs> um, another standout shot for me is a tracking shot in Bateman's apartment as some sort of orchestral music play or piano kind of interlude plays. It's sort of moving, it's kind of moving down the hallway towards a window and then it kind of moves to the right, and we see I think he's working out mm-hmm. perhaps yep. doing this crunches. That was beautiful. And it fit really well with uh the little piano sonata or what yeah. have you that was going on. In the business card scene, I really liked whenever uh Bryce breaks out his card and Thoreau kind of he does I like he he kind of does the little tap. And we get a close up shot of the card, and he taps it. He's like describing something about the font or the um, something. I don't know. Just a good little, neat little choice that mm-hmm. he made there that I thought was kind of cool. And it was a great cutaway in terms of the editing there.
1: Mm-hmm. Everything about the business card scene was really good. Everything.
0: The. The scene in Paul Allen's where there's dead bodies in so many of the rooms, Christy's trying to escape. She just keeps running into more and more dead bodies. She tries banging on doors. Nobody hears her and all that. And then he's, he's of course, running through the hallway. And we get a great, uh, like, we get a lot of handheld, which they mm-hmm. kind of stayed away from in, in a lot of the production. But I think it really worked for that, for that particular scene. And especially that sort of, again, that eye of God shot, yep. looking down the staircase, and then at the bottom, Christy, I don't know, there's something really beautiful about that shot. Yeah,
1: sadly. In, in a very, very morbid way, yeah, right. absolutely. Oh, but then too, I, I guess I, I have to reference to his,
0: his scream, his sort of primal scream <laughs> at the end, with the blood <laughs> on his face, yeah. like, ah! Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: he looked incredible um another scene that i or just something that i liked was <laughs> uh when he's going on his killing spree and he goes into the building that is in his building and he's once again wrongly identified by somebody else he kills uh, that security guard leaves goes into another building right that looks just like the building he was just in so it's just another little thematic thing that they did right there that i thought was really really nice not only that, but then he like
0: aggressively pulls out his pen, so you think he's going to kill that guy too, yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's just signing in the book. I think he's in the bathroom urinating and sees his reflection in the Les Mis poster, and you sort of get maybe half of his face. That was a really cool shot. Mm-hmm. And it's, his hair, is sort of his bangs are sort of hanging down in front of his face. That was a really cool look. The uh, the silent shots of New York, Bateman's apartment, and then him showering with the piano music again. I thought were really, really beautiful because he had that black tile
1: in his bathroom that just looked cool as a re- really nice contrast there. While you're looking, I'm gonna I'm just gonna double check something because I wanted to mention something completely irrelevant uh, for this movie, but just keep going. I'm just gonna be looking something up.
0: Oh, I I had notes in here that uh, Reg Cathy is the the homeless the guy that played the homeless act or he was actually what, What's the name? homeless Reg Kathy. Yep. Mm-hmm, who he actually passed away? I think within the last two or three months, which sucks. He was great in uh, in The Wire as uh, Carcetti's campaign manager. He was so funny. He had such a great like his voice. Oh, it's great. so deep. It's He's like, got ah, a such yeah. Such his a... laugh. <laughs> And then in that scene, whenever Bateman kills him and he leaves, we're so we're sort of we have this perspective where the camera is set at the back of the alley looking out towards the street. And I don't know something about the lighting and the symmetry of that shot looks amazing. It's a really dark, darkly lit scene, but there's some like moonlight glinting off of the pavement and I, I don't know, like I said, I guess the symmetry of the way that we've got kind of buildings on either side and then it sort of tees off into the street. And he sort of runs off into the shadows after killing mm-hmm. the the dog as well. So that was another one that st- stood out for me. Um, one of the, sh- the shot of Bateman after he has killed Paul Allen and he sits down and the blood has... <laughs> only accumulated on pretty much one side of yep. his face. Uh Mary Heron said that this was actually not planned. This was just kind of a happy accident of production that the blood just happened to fall that way on just half of his face, which was which is perfect. hmm There's an amazing shot of Bateman's fruit plate. The camera sort of pans From this beautifully laid out food Mm -hmm. to him doing... This is when he's doing the crunches. Yeah, this is the crunches. In front of the TV while Texas Chainsaw Massacre (laughs) is playing in the background. There's something unsettling or weird to me about the really harsh lighting in the limousine whenever Bateman and Christie are riding back to Paul Allen's apartment. And this is the second time... I don't know, it's like a really, it's really brightly lit and, but very cold. Like the the lighting is cold. I have to go back
1: and look at that scene, I don't recall.
0: And then I think maybe my, maybe my favorite shot, or I don't know, this is probably influenced by the great dialogue at the end, but as we kind of get that tracking shot into, straight into Bale's eyes, as he's delivering that sort of final monologue just was great. Mm -hmm. It was just, yeah, I think a perfect shot to end the film on. And that was really well done. Quite enjoyed that one. I know you mentioned you didn't have a lot in the way of cinematography. Any, any, did I jog anything?
1: I mean, I remember each scene that you're talking, say for the, um, the limo or the cab scene, because I remember one scene that that earlier, I don't remember that specific one that you're referring, referring to regarding the lighting. Um, but no, I think we've already, I mean, we've covered everything that as far as I can remember uh, visually.
0: Oh, there was a, you did mention the cab and there's a scene with Bateman and Evelyn where we can see Evelyn clearly. So we, the perspective of the camera is from the front of the of the cab and we're looking back into the back seat. Bateman is obscured by this sort of frosted glass. Mm-hmm. And so we can see his sort of, Blurry silhouette, while we can see Evelyn clearly, which I think kind of sort of fits into certain elements of the film in terms of um, like the the mistaken identity Mm -hmm. all the time that we see, and sort of him as this unidentifiable, just sort of you know there is no there's an idea of him there's an abstraction yeah, and that. Is I think embodied by that shot. He's mm-hmm. very like he. That's that's the idea. The abstraction is this yep. blurry, you know, silhouette essentially.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's really necessarily like an iconic scene, but one thing you know, it's just like his morning routine where he's pulling like the mask off like oh, off yeah. his face. That was kind of kind of creepy.
0: That was brilliant. And they said they lucked out too. They weren't sure how it was going to work mm-hmm. in terms of if it was gonna, all going to pull off in one and stay together rather than you know sort of flake off which you might imagine would be um, could happen very easily One note that Mary Heron had given about that was she was ecstatic that it came out as well as it did and worked but she mentioned that him pulling off that pulling off that mask just to reveal another mask beneath yeah. it yeah which I was that's gonna nice gonna yeah. a little bit in the yeah. themes too but that I think is a super brilliant. I think that's And I mean, well just said. really visually captures the themes of the of the film really well. Mm-hmm. All right, want to tackle some themes, or what do you got uh, next? Gonna, talk a little bit about writing first. Writing, cool. And I think some of this is going to overlap with with the book. Some of what, well, just some of the things we've already talked about. Gotcha. I think, is that, like I said, it was hard to disaggregate the, uh, you know. What's writing? What's acting? What's I don't know. It's cause sometimes it's both. It's mm-hmm. like the way the line is written and the way the line is delivered. So right. I kind of think I I push some of the quote heavy stuff into um into the writing more so mm-hmm. than acting because it's just hard. It's hard to figure out what's what. But um, Mary Heron herself co-wrote the f- film with Gwyneth Turner, based we already mentioned based on the Brett Easton Ellis novel. Um, again, he's one of the, the principal postmodern authors along with DeLillo, J.G. Ballard, as well as another guy that I forgot to mention earlier. Um, the business card scene, I mean, brilliantly written. Mm-hmm. A great show-don't-tell moment, I think, to some degree, mm-hmm. in certain regards. Because Bateman's kind of quietly... Well, I guess he's I mean, having you're, that you're inner still good. Yeah, I
1: mean, there's the inner monologue, but there I mean, it's still... I mean, if you were to go ahead and just pick out, like, one scene.
0: Maybe that's, actually, that's acting, probably. Because mm-hmm. think about, on paper, that scene, like, at the table read, you know what I mean? Like, how is that going? But it's really I, bailed. I, I mean, it's,
1: I'd be really interested to see that on the page as far as... Oh, yeah, kind of the direction. Mm-hmm, just to see what that, what that looked like. True, but, good point. I mean, it's my, without a doubt, it's, that it's that's my favorite scene in the whole film, Um and I just, yeah, everything about it is great.
0: It's <laughs> funny that you mentioned that's your favorite scene because <laughs> I say, uh, my notes said the business card scene might be the climax of the film and it almost made me climax. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is random too, but um, the scene with the bartender at early on in the film, wherever it's kind of, we first see Bateman's mask sort of slip and he, yells at her. he's like, I'd oh, fucking kill yeah. you or something. Yep,
1: yep, yep, that's right. Was actually Mary Heron's sister. Was that? Yeah. Interesting.
0: We already talked about him kind of delivering those liberal sort of talking points in a very robotic way.
1: Oh, the Sri Lanka? Yeah. I love that. I love it.
0: There's a lot, what is, it? there's a lot bigger things in Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something about that—that that vocal yeah. cadence is really great,
1: and just the way that he he says what's more important, and you know, and kind of like not—it's not even matter of fact. Like this is what, because he he just says it. It's like this is part of his routine. Like right. this is his canned response if somebody says something. These are the things that matter. But I don't know if he believes in any of those things or care. I mean, the, the, that again, it just goes back to that abstraction of that there's somebody there. Like you can you can shake his hand, but there's, there is no him, you know, and it, it's the same thing with I his soul. I simply home. am yeah. not there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's exactly the quote. <laughs> the next thing I was going to really? say was, I have all the characteristics of a human being, flesh, blood, skin, hair, but not a single identifiable emotion, except greed and disgust. Something horrible is happening inside of me, and I don't know why.
3: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: one of the more humorous scenes, Bateman dragging Paul Allen's corpse in the, in the overnight bag and running into <laughs> Carruthers, who's yep. asking him, you know, at the, the first time you watch this, you think, is, is he going to notice that he's dragging this body? And he's like, where did you get that overnight bag? That's so he's good. Like, Jean-Paul Gaultier. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, uh, Mary Heron said that in the book, it was Combe des Garcons, but they could not get the approval to, to include that <laughs> in the film. Bateman listening to Lady in Red with his eyes closed and then Gene comes in mentioning Defoe as Kimball is there to see him and he's just sort of moving his head mm-hmm. that was great hilarious scene too the scene where Carruthers shows up with the business card and there's this time there's a more subdued sort of reaction but then Bateman is just like Completely enraged by that. The red type. Yep. The red font on Carruthers' car just drives him insane. Mm-hmm. The look in Bateman's eyes as Carruthers like turns around, he's like <laughs> thinking that he's coming on to him. Yeah. Is so so hilarious. And then him going to wash his hands in a panic, and he still has like leather gloves on because mm-hmm. he had put on leather gloves was so pissed off about the business card that he was going to just straight up murder, <laughs> just murder Carruthers in the bathroom. <laughs> like, Jesus. And then he tells him, of course, I've got to go return some videotapes. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Just so well done. He was in such a panic too. Great, great acting scene too. Um, it was really f- another ironic moment that was funny was Kimball where he pulls out the Huey Lewis and the new CD and he's got this weird smile on his face and he, the weird th- the thing about him is you never quite know like is what is he thinking he, is, is this benign like nothing ever b- happens because of it but you're always like wondering there's something like unsettling about maybe that's just defoe period but i thought that was hilarious when he pull- especially the look on his face as he pulls out Yui Lewis in the news
1: yeah yeah Willem defoe i mean like what a fucked up actor that guy is. I mean, but just so yeah, just so awesome. Um, but his smile, like even if it, even if it's earnest, there's something very very like terrifying about him. The uh, the scene with the
0: model, the blonde model, and then she's like saying there's something sweet about Patrick, and then the next scene cuts to him in his office twirling like a lock of her, a blonde hair. Yep. And I thought that was great because it lets your imagination run in terms of, cause I think at this point we've already, he's already killed at least Paul Allen mm-hmm. and probably the homeless guy. So you have this expectation of what's going to happen, but it's almost worse that you don't know. You don't visually see what happens to her. Mm-hmm. You just see this like trophy that he has Mm -hmm. and then he just like sort of nimbly like puts it in his pocket because gene shows up and he's doing the uh he's doing the crossword puzzle with meat and bone (laughs) for all the answers (laughs) (laughs) there's also uh, one of the most brilliant shots in the film is in that scene too because we see the reflection of the crossword in patrick's sunglasses looks awesome it's a it's great Mm -hmm. such a great shot Another hilarious moment of irony is Gene comes over for their date. He opens the freezer and we see the model's head. And he says, ask Gene, sorbet. <laughs> uh, just, I think the contrast there and so much of what works in this film is these contrasts between these really upbeat songs and, and things contrasted with this really
1: dark actual mm-hmm. action that's taking place. Yeah, and so you had two. And then, let's see, what what is the Whitney Houston? Is that, is that Gene where he doesn't, or who no, is? No, that who, is
0: the two. That is Christ, that's the two, Christy okay, the, and Elizabeth, I believe. Okay. The scene where. the sweet
1: of, sweetest love of all?
0: Yeah. Um, I think, wait, yeah. The scene where Gene comes over. Again, and he's talking about his uh, not having any willpower, and he says he's not very good at controlling, controlling it, anyways. And Bateman's like behind her with the fucking nail gun, mm-hmm. and you're just like, ah, uh, oh, it's so tense. Yep. And again, you've already seen him kill these other yeah. people, so you're just like expecting the absolute worst. And then the phone
1: rings, right? And then the phone right. rings,
0: and Evelyn leaves a message, which. Snaps him back into reality or Mm -hmm. whatever, (laughs) whatever you want to call it, I guess. Um, And then he sort of, I don't, he, that's like the first time he ever sort of comes across as somewhat human because he's telling her, um, he don't think he can control himself. Yep. And something bad will happen if you stay. But like the funny thing, it's almost Hitchcockian in the sense that we, as the audience know, Mm -hmm. have the information that, of what's happened? That yep. he, the crazy shit that he's done, and Gene is none the yeah. wiser, and that's a, just a brilliant sort of tension or suspense. There, it, it's
1: really like one of like the the, the the true like the one of like the first real moments of suspense in the film because of the fact that we have already seen something else. You're you're not surprised when he kills when he when he's killed anybody, you know, like at all leading into that. But we finally now had a character have a character that we we care about, and we don't want her to die a very very painful way and then we're we're given this other little insight to to bateman so yeah i mean it's 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 good suspense it's good drama it's a really it's just a good scene
0: the supreme irony there whenever kimball goes to dinner with bateman and he's talking about the idea that one of his friends would have killed him it's ridiculous yeah uh, so brilliant. But yet, you still, even then, you kind of have a
1: wonder like, is, is he like fucking with him? Mm-hmm. Or what, like, yeah. what,
0: do, what does this guy really know?
1: Yep. And at the end, absolutely nothing. He's like, eh, well, you know.
0: The Whitney Houston music review that it was Elizabeth, yeah, that mocks, they mock that. He keeps on going with this sort of heartfelt discussion about the greatest love of all. You really, like, he's so into it. You really get the sense that he believes it but (laughs) he takes this message and kind of twists it into this thing where it's like he says something that if you can't empathize with others you can always empathize with yourself like that's the message that he takes from Mm -hmm. the the song which is kind of a bizarre take yeah the breakup scene i think we've already gone over that well enough oh Another moment of hilarity is whenever he asks the um, the other prosti- two prostitutes, like, do you want to know what I do? And they're like, nope, no, nope, no." We no. have zero interest. Yep, they don't care. That was funny.
1: Any other sort of writing-based scenes or anything you want to go? Just the, I mean, just the final scene, essentially. Just, you know, when uh, the confession to his attorney like in person and the attorney just thinks it's hysterical and and just how that's being juxtaposed with uh and edited with um Chloe Svegny uh looking at the at like the, at that journal and everything.
0: I have a couple of just miscellaneous facts that I wanted to share before sure. we delve into some of the theme thematic stuff. I thought it was really funny that Bateman is telling Kimball that Paul Allen was part of that whole Yale thing. Which, what? Whole Yale thing. <laughs> which means he was probably a closet homosexual with <laughs> yeah. a ton of cocaine.
1: That whole Yale thing.
0: I always thought this was, this always made me laugh because, or I kind of dislike Yale. Just fucking Kavanaugh. Uh, well, even before him, because <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure W went to Yale, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But yeah, also Kavanaugh, of course. Mm hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally against Yale out of the Ivy League. I don't I don't fuck with Yale. Mm-hmm.
1: Who's your Ivy League school? Who'd you got?
0: Oh man, I don't know. That's Columbia, Columbia probably.
2: Nice.
1: Uh, I, um,
0: I already mentioned the continuity error in the bathroom scene in the club where they're doing the coke. Oh, uh, Mary Herron said that okay, so there's a scene wherever he first goes, or he picks up Christie, the prostitute, was shot in the Meatpacking District, and she said it was they really wanted to capture kind of the '80s feel um, of the time, mm-hmm. and that was like one of the only places at the time that the film was in production that you could still get that sort of '80s New York feel. Yeah. But I just want to mention that like Meatpacking is like my favorite neighborhood in in Manhattan. For okay. Sure. It's it's a really cool area. Like They still have the sort of cobblestone streets, mm-hmm. and it's like yep. right by the water and the High Line, and there's, of course, a lot of high-end shopping over there. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool area. But now on to my favorite part.
1: All right. Themes, baby. Yeah. Oh, yes. This movie, this has movie been, is rich in yeah. them. has them been spades.
0: <laughs> but I, I think the one of the obvious ones that I don't I'm not well versed in enough to really talk about, but I feel like it has to at least be mentioned, and that is I think the feminist critique of the film mm-hmm. in the sense of obviously the the gross misogyny that is being displayed by Bateman and his and his compatriots. Um but also even Mary Heron in shooting Bale Sort of, they sort of subvert the. I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of of the gaze uh, when it comes to film theory.
1: Like, oh, oh, well, you have like the male gaze, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So I I thought it was interesting that she kind of subverts that a little bit to some degree. Whenever we sort of see these shots of Christian Bale showering, and of Mm -hmm. course he's like glistening, and we see his ass and and whatever, like he's objectified Mm -hmm. than the way that a a woman normally would be in film. So I thought that was, you know, something interesting to point out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, he worked out really hard for this role. <laughs> right. I mean, why not show off a bit? It's like when he's doing his crunches and everything. I mean, just shredded.
0: But definitely, again, it's is sort of flipping that typical gaze. Yep.
1: And, uh, you know, so uh, maybe that's something maybe um, to even kind of like discuss with like uh, the listeners as far as like what the what, – the whole idea of what the, the male gaze was in like cinematic history. Right. I mean, what I know of it essentially is I mean back in the day, the people that were going, paying, paying their dollars to go and see or paying their coins or whatever to go and see films were men. And they wanted to go ahead and and look at beautiful women on, on camera. I mean, it's part of the reason why you see so many movies where, It's kind of a a rough looking dude with like with the beautiful you know beautiful like femme fatale or or just like beautiful female lead in these films because I mean that those were the 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 audience I mean shoot you look at many uh, Alfred Hitchcock film right I mean he he always had that that classic beautiful blonde and then she'd often be paired with like an oafish looking you know Jimmy Stewart or you know some other you know somebody else, but it wasn't just necessarily, you know, Alfred Hitchcock that did things like that. I mean, this is something that went on for, for decades. Um, sometimes decades before even Alfred Hitchcock were making films and decades past. And it was just one of those things. And you also had like film code back in the day where there were things that you couldn't, you couldn't show on camera, which is why the movie psycho was so revolutionary in its day. But the whole concept of the male gaze is, you know, putting beautiful women on display for men to gaze at. And that's they sort of being I don't know,
0: I'm familiar with it coming from like the psychoanalytic school of okay. of crit- criticism, and so Jacques Lacan, I think, was the first to come up with the idea of the gaze. I think that's his most famous contribution to film cri- criticism, mm-hmm. but he's also a postmodern sort of pretty relevant thinker in that realm. Um, but I think the, and which I think it also ties into elements of the, I don't know, the privileged aspect of the of Western civilization being like the philogo-centric centric viewpoint, meaning, okay, so the ph- phallus elf is the ph- phalla part and the logos, the logical, so the logical male that, the logical white male that, you know, basically th- this, kind of what you're talking about in the mm-hmm. sense of like their view, that they are, this is, um, designed for them to consume. Right. And the camera has the point of view of that, philogo, that philogo-centric mm-hmm. sort of point of view. But I don't know. There's a bunch of psychoanalytical stuff that I don't quite understand there. But I think Laura Mulvey, if I'm not mistaken, is also a later feminist film critic that talks about the uh, male gaze. I'll try to post some articles yeah, if I can find any in the show notes that will dig into that. Like I said, that's kind of my... Mm -hmm. Um, area I'm least qualified to speak on but nevertheless um, I did hear Brett Easton Ellis talk about the book at least being a send up of male behavior which I thought was interesting um, sort of the toxic masculinity of the American male and we definitely see this in a few of the scenes where Bateman and his friends are hanging out and there's one scene where they're just discussing women and saying there are no good girls with good personalities, blah, blah, blah. There's that scene. Mm-hmm. But then there's another scene where they're at the club with the models and they're making they're mocking them kind of to their faces because mm-hmm. they're saying like, oh, so-and-so went to see Gorbachev about Glasnost downstairs. And they're like, what? Yeah. Yep. Uh, also Bateman... T- telling Jean that she needs to wear high heels, yeah, and, like, like making
1: fun of what she's wearing, yeah, on more than one occasion,
0: right? And then, of course, the the murders themselves of primarily women, Mm-hmm. or yeah, it's I guess it's more it's three or four prostitutes.
1: Let's see. I mean, on camera we get two prostitutes, it's right? Chris,
0: Christy Elizabeth, the model. I think it's to be assumed, too, that that lady, the one random lady early on in the film that's sort of and then they're he, walking down the street.
1: I he think. shoots the lady. Okay. Um, I really thought he actually, it was kind of a 50-50 split on what they showed on camera, yeah. but it's assumed that he kills many more females. But I think on camera, it's about 50-50. Because you know he kills the the cops, or the the, the cop car randomly explodes, right? And then he, there's that great shot where even he's in disbelief. Yeah, of he, it. Lo- he
0: looks at the gun like, "What the fuck
1: yeah. is going on?" Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I also think there's a strong element of uh, you can apply a little bit of Marxist analysis to the film, and I'll sort of exemplify that in primarily alienation, the sense of alienation and then capitalism kind of destroying all these social bonds and abstracting us from the fruits of our labor. Mm-hmm. So like we, the division of labor is so so intense that you have these executives that don't really do anything or like, and again, just in the, even I guess I should back up. And so for Marx, the idea of alienation comes from this. Yes, we're, there's a division of labor, so you're just contributing to a portion of the productive process, but you're, you never see like the fruits of it mm-hmm. and that gets alienating because you want to like see you want to see like a, a tangible like it's very satisfying for you to see the actual fruits like if I made a chair and I gave it to you and you used it, I could see that, mm-hmm. right But if I just make if I cut down the tree itself, you know what I mean that's sort yeah. of I'm, I'm missing out on how that impacts you, right. another human. like mm-hmm. it, it interferes with sort of the social relations there and breaks down social bonds. But it also, at the same time, kind of infiltrates how we view other people. And I think the scene with the homeless man really exemplifies that because yep. on one hand, you have Bateman kind of spouting off all of these capitalist talking points like, why don't you get a goddamn job, Al? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you've you've got a negative attitude. Like he's spouting off these kind of typical capitalist platitudes to this homeless guy, under the assumption the assumption being that like this guy is is worthless or like there is something fundamentally wrong with him that has like it. His poverty is due to his individual behavior, and not due to uh, you know a more larger systemic issue right? mm-hmm. because we have all of this wealth that's generated by people like patrick bateman and it's a lot of it's bullshit right it's right. like yeah what is the and we can get into sort of the different theories of value like there's marx talked about use value exchange value and then uh i guess labor labor value and he kind of would value things by the amount of work that goes into something should determine that's the labor value. And that's what should determine what something costs. Mm -hmm. The use value is let's say like a, a hammer has, has a use value. And then the exchange value is basically it's, that's more related to like a commodity. That's not necessarily intended. It can have a use value, but it's for specifically for exchange on a market, like for you to buy and sell. But I think that definitely, obviously, Bateman is spouting off this capitalist line about blah, blah, blah. You're, you know, you have a bad attitude. <laughs> he even kind of mocks him with the talking about insider trading. Yeah. And all of that kind of stuff. And then he's like, I I, I don't have anything in common with you mm-hmm. and kills him because he doesn't have anything in common with it. Yep. He can't relate to this, this human being. He can't see him as another human. And I think, um. This idea kind of gets carried... There's another thinker, Baudrillard, that talks... He kind of takes this value further and comes up with this, what's called the sign value. And what the sign value is, is more abstract. So it works particularly in this film whenever we have this hyper... and Maybe more so in the book, illustrates this better, but the the film does kind of go into... um, the types of suits that people wear mm-hmm. yeah the the glasses et cetera not
1: so, obviously in the same amount of detail right. that you know the the novel has where it really go I mean, it beats it over i mean you're you're essentially killed with uh with detail on what people are wearing and everything but yeah
0: but it's so it's it's about what the what does the what do oliver people's glasses communicate to other people about status mm-hmm. and so forth and i identity like creating crafting an identity through consumption through the products that you consume it, there's like this weird game of trying to like create an identity from that consumption mm-hmm. that is really kind of empty and i think that may be what this film is sort of getting at with this emptiness of bale he's just a husk he's like yeah just a sort of robotic consumer that can't feel um, he can't relate to other human beings. He's just simply not there. Yeah,
1: It doesn't matter how many material, you know, uh, what great fancy gadgets are the most expensive things you have. It, it doesn't, it doesn't hold any actual weight to existence. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. It's like, there's, there's nothing special about, it's like like I said, you know, a pair of glasses, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's a pair of other for people's glasses that are, you know, 500 bucks for frames, right? But in terms of the use value of them, there's no real difference between them and like a $50 right. pair of glasses, right? And I think this actually even applies too to the conversation that Bateman has with Evelyn in the car where he's mentioning that his, she mentions that his father owns the company And that he doesn't even really need to work. So, that even. So, he is just working because he wants to fit in. And Mm -hmm. the same way that he consumes, he gets the haircut and the tan and wears the suits and buys the this and does this and has the skincare routine is because he wants to fit in.
1: And can be able to speak to apartheid in, in a conversational manner, even though they're what he's saying really has no weight because he doesn't really believe what he's saying. He's just saying it because that's what exactly,
0: exactly. You're, you're absolutely right. It still fit. That still fits in that same paradigm that I'm sort of getting at in in a broader sense. Um, again, I would have mentioned here something about, I think an iPhone is maybe a good example right? It's like having an iPhone, like you probably as a kid now, you probably have to, if you don't have an iPhone, it's like you don't fit in, to the social, whatever. Like, and you it's not be even just Austria an iPhone. Star. You need to have the new iPhone, right. whatever, like yeah. the current,
1: whatever the the newest model. I mean, if you're three or four generations behind, I mean, psh, what you can't you can't get the ten, but you're, you're still using that razor flip phone, you know? Like, um, yeah. So, whatever, like the the late fancy gadget, but the iPhone is a great a great tool that kind of shows where what your what your status is in in many social circles. Today.
0: Right, yeah, it's almost, it's divorced from that use value of having mm-hmm. a phone or whatever, you know, to, to some degree, right? Like, I think that use value is still there, but it's starting to get more and more abstract. And as we move forward into the internet age and economy, mm-hmm. that we're, things are getting even further abstracted yep. into where we're just like, there is no point. It's just all like his conversation about apartheid. It's all bullshit. It's mm-hmm. all just superficial. Mm-hmm. And there is no there, there. Right, he, yeah. He's simp- it's yeah. simply not there.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, damn it, I had a, in the middle of that, I had a great thought, but I, yeah, I lost it, lost it, damn it.
1: And now it's gone.
0: <laughs> oh, I was going to say, um, I know what it was. It was about the, um, creating these sort of meaningless s- sign values that really don't contribute. They have no, there's nothing to them, right? Mm-hmm. But and even in the sense of Bateman himself, his job is superfluous. And ultimately the people that are creating these different products, like their jobs are really superfluous. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a consumption for consumption's sake logic at the heart of what's happening. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. people consume all of these things to try to fit these social needs or what have you, or, you know, try to fulfill some type of like, I don't know, some people even, or Baudrillard even talks about this, uh, the symbolic order of things, and how this type of consumerism is tied to our fear of death. And by consuming these objects, somehow, like we can, it sort of is a temporary can kind of um, disassociate us from our own impending death.
1: Interesting. Bleak. <laughs>
0: right. Um he also has an interesting idea. I think this kind of fits too in the in the sense of he talked about terrorists, spree killers serial killers as a an actual as being a deflection to obscure that vacuousness, that nihilism at the core of sort of this mass media, mass consumer society mm-hmm. that we live in. As sort of a foil. This was a similar idea that Michel Foucault kind of talked about where the insane asylums, their function was to make the the rest of society feel sane, right? Because we had this other to compare ourselves mm-hmm. to. It's sort of a similar idea. What about you? What you have any themes stuff you want to talk about?
1: Uh, not not on a psychoanalytical or <laughs> like deeply philosophical, but uh, just again just the ideas of consumerism, uh, consumerism and materialism. Which are some of the things that you're just kind of beaten upside the head with throughout this film. Uh, those are obviously great themes. the The simple question of um, it's not really necessarily even the theme, but like the 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 big picture question is: Is he? In what level is he crazy? You know, is he is he crazy in the sense that he is killing these people, or is he crazy in the sense that he believes he's killing these people and he isn't? And what is your take? You know, as a viewer, um, which are some of the things that that are. And then in the end, does it even matter? Because again, the whole idea of your, the self doesn't, doesn't matter. Nobody, again, the whole idea of, uh, being a person as an abstraction, which is one of like the greater themes in this movie. Um, we had kind of talked about where everybody's called something entirely different than what their, their names are. And they're the business cards that I had said before where they're all kind of passed around with the same job title, just with different names. And virtually identical, except for the names. Exactly. Same yep. titles and yep. everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very wildly, you know, just minutely different details here yep. and there. So, Until
1: someone asshole uses a red font, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: Heron, the director, said that the film was not intended to be perceived as having been all in his head. Mm-hmm. And I sort of agree. I don't think that it matters, though, ultimately for me, whether it was real or fake. I do think that at least the majority of what happened actually was real and not inside of his head. But I think the distinction between that, the whole, the blurring between reality and falsity yep. between the real and the hyper real again mm-hmm. is sort of irrelevant. There is no, it doesn't matter. Like I think that's a great metaphor for that type of so sort of postmodern position of it doesn't matter. Like it's impossible to get back to the "quote unquote" real at this point. Yep. There is only, <laughs> there is only this. There is no escape. Yeah. I came across something interesting too. That this is a, going back to sort of the critique of the sort of Marxist analysis about consumption of consumer goods representing that symbolic exchange between between the system of objects. And it extending itself to Bateman in himself, it's the endless deferral of what can't be achieved is what desire is. And that relates to the logic of capitalism and its ability to produce new desires in the, in the individual. Mm-hmm. I really like that. I don't know if I <laughs> made this up or not, but the, the endless deferral of what can't be achieved is desire. And through, and that's what I'm talking about, consumption. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Trying to fill that, trying to create that, or escape that death drive, or what have you. I think that's, there's always a desire, that a new desire that can be created through capitalism, and that you'll always be chasing it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of Baudrillard's idea of the simulation and simulacra present here, and sort of we see Bateman watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, almost as in Mary Heron also mentioned this in the director's commentary, where he is he watching these films to learn like how to how to kill. Because later we see him with the chainsaw. You know what I mean? So it's obvious that the media is affecting, impacting his mm-hmm. ideas about even killing people. And so it's he's drawing there isn't
1: and that goes to that idea of like what what's real see and I, I i look at him watching that like the texas chainsaw massacre again just as a a different form of yeah just consumption he's con, he's consuming just information i don't, I don't think it's necessarily looking at looking for for pointers or whatnot but uh he it's the same thing like if, if you see if you see something awesome it's like oh i want to own that like the iphone like i want that iphone like oh he killed somebody with a chainsaw. I want to go ahead and do that. And okay. you know, like, so that that's, that's kind of like the, the take, uh, that, that I look at is just like, just again, just, a uh, some people watch commercials. He watches, you know, slasher film to, to inspire him on something that he wants to do.
0: I wanted to read that quote about, um, the, the long quote about the, there is an idea of a Patrick Bateman, some kind of a, abstraction, but there is no real me, only an entity, something illusory, and though I can hide my cold gaze, and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours, and maybe you can sense our lifestyles are probably comparable, I simply am not there. It's almost going to the the nihilism at the the nothingness at the heart of the entire culture. Mm-hmm. There, you know what yeah. I mean. Yep. Especially because he mentions lifestyle specifically. It's mm-hmm. like, you can tell that our lifestyles are probably comparable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad Bateman.
0: And going back to that idea of, you know, I had mentioned that he's watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's also a, and Mary Heron talked about this too. Him watching the pornography. Yeah,
1: that's yeah. He's watching porn,
0: almost as like research. Again yeah, yeah. To if, figure out like, okay, this is is this how I'm to behave? You know what that, I mean? It's that's just
1: like- it. Yeah, it's like this. This is what you know. Just again, just another form of just something that he's consuming. It's Just like, oh, this is what. To fit in, you know, like right. that, this, is
0: how, this is how sexual intercourse goes. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, we haven't even talked about when he's uh, nailing the prostitutes, him like looking <laughs> at himself in the mirror. We yeah. haven't really like, covered that aspect of, of this film. Yeah, which in
0: itself is, oh, that's like mirror, that's like narcissism mm-hmm. writ large right there. <laughs> But also, too, what's interesting about that scene is that he also films it, too, yeah, through the video camera. And we see very skillfully that they have us see the scene through the perspective of the camera mm-hmm. itself. So a disembodied object, we're getting that viewpoint, which is an interesting... That's interesting, actually, tying back into the gaze. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. What's going on there? Like, is that is that getting to the technology becoming, like, the gaze of technology is what's next, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Or, like, there being some sort of, like, real simulation where we're just actors that are being, you know what I mean? Almost like the viewers, we're we're a fiction that is being viewed by some disembodied, either, Mm. I don't know, Mm -hmm. alternative... Intelligent, or artificial yeah. intelligence, or aliens, or what have you—I don't know. I guess I'd like to wrap up on the uh, the denouement <laughs> of the uh, of his final kind of monologue, mm-hmm. and I'll just read the whole damn thing. Yeah, it's fucking great! It's
1: great! It's great!
0: There are no more barriers to cross. All I have in common with the uncontrollable and the insane, the vicious and the evil. All the mayhem I have caused and my utter indifference towards it I have now surpassed. My pain is constant and sharp, and I do not hope for a better world for anyone. In fact, I want my pain to be inflicted on others. I want no one to escape. But even after admitting this, there is no catharsis. My punishment continues to elude me, and I gain no deeper knowledge of myself. No new knowledge can be extracted from my telling. This confession has meant nothing. And the camera pulls in on those dead eyes. Yep. And there we have it, American Psycho. Wow. What a crazy film.
1: Very crazy film. And a not not too bad film. Uh, critically, as I recall, it was kind of a mixed bag, mostly positive um, film-wise. But, I mean, obviously the movie does come with a lot of... Um, comes with a lot of baggage, obviously. But it's certainly grown over the past darn near 20 years into kind of that, um, that cult Cult classic, yeah, cult classic. But yeah, so it's just one of those movies that's grown simply for the fact that one, obviously the, um, the plot, the themes are really strong, but two, just a really, really great performance by, by Christian Bale in this film. Uh, other great, performances by other people but I mean this is it's all about Christian Bale and, and there, there's great dialogue but the way that he delivers the dialogue I think is one of the things that why why it also holds up I don't know where I put it in my my Christian Bale like canon as far as like but I'm sure in the many 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 films that he's acted his ass off I, I this is probably somewhere in the top 10
0: oh definitely for me it's probably top 5 to, but my favorite performance he ever did was as uh the character in what is it, American Hustle?
1: That oh where he was me, bald, that was and, he, and he's absolute finest. He was great. He, he was great in that.
0: The little just the little like ticks and mm-hmm. and things that he added to that character I thought were just
1: And and that's so brilliant. And that's what the the great thing is because you have that role, you have this role, you have his role in the machinist, you have his role in the what was it was it called the boxer? Um you know, just in, it just and Might have been the fighter. The fighter, whatever yeah. Uh whatever that role was. Um you know, I mean, he, he goes on these great journeys, uh, you know, like each character is entirely different. Each character looks entirely different. Uh, the Just what he puts his own body through for each role is really, really incredible. And he's still able to do it, not just as the idea of like a method actor, like, oh, I have to look this certain way. But he changes his entire persona and he still acts his ass off. And each role is really, really authentic to the character that he's portraying.
0: Of course, he was in Prestige, which we yeah, we discussed. That's right. Mm-hmm. Actually, had a um, a couple of things come to mind just while you were talking. Um, one was I th- thought it was kind of funny. Like I had this idea because uh, the f- it ends whenever they're uh, they're watching Ronald Reagan speak on the phone or on the TV, not on the phone. But also a couple of times that. Donald Trump is mentioned?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> like when he's out to dinner with Paul Allen, he says, is that Ivana
1: Trump? Yeah, that's right, there is. Is that Ivana Trump? Because
0: Paul Allen is bitching about the restaurant. Oh, this is a real beehive of activity, hell this yep. Jam. And he's like, is that Ivana Trump over there? And then I think they're going to the club or something, and he mentions, was that Donald Trump's car? hmm Or something. Which kind of t- ties into my next thing was them watching Reagan on the TV. Marx also has this quote about history repeating itself. The first time is tragedy. The second time is farce. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, Reagan was the first act. He was an actor president.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The well, first, I mean, he was a, pro- he was an actor then became a president. But yeah. Right.
0: Um, so he was the for- first sort of entertainer mm-hmm. president we had. So now I, I had the idea of thinking like now we have Trump as the farcical version of, of this is history repeating itself, but this time as farce with Trump. This is just like an extension of that yeah. trajectory yeah. of entertainers or becoming, becoming presidents. Celebrities. And sort of the fakeness of, I don't know, there's a certain performativity there. Mm-hmm the reality show of the United States of being president, you know?
1: I really don't want (laughs) to think about
0: right. Donald Trump in any capacity. True. I normally wouldn't bring him up, but this, this, Oh, it's okay. uh, He fits so well into that. Like this whole image based. Oh, without a doubt. Hyper real. Yeah. Sort of hyper real that I think this movie sort of touches on a lot. Mm -hmm.
1: It just, just that painful reminder.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) I think that's a good way to leave it. <laughs> too bad that, well, I was going to say it, too bad Bateman didn't dispatch him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With a, I don't know. I guess you would have to, pr- what would you print out? Like print out Fox News articles and put them on, <laughs> on his apartment floor instead of a New York Times style
2: mm-hmm.
1: section. Fucking Fox.
0: But uh, any final thoughts on American Psycho before we uh, wrap this up?
1: I think we I think we covered this one pretty in-depth. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the next uh, film we tackle.
0: Likewise, likewise. All right, well, uh, this has been podcast, Care of Cooper Cherry, and my wonderful guest, Andrew Stamper, joining me again. We will be back at some point to discuss another film uh, within the next, I don't know, month or so. We'll have something else. Yeah. What Do you have anything that's burning on your mind that you want to talk about as far as films go that's a good question we can wrap up on
1: uh what films that we want to cover or just yeah talk or is about? there
0: is there anything that because i feel like i have robocop is really one that i'm i'm itching i'm chomping at the bit to talk about
1: i could go ahead and revisit robocop nice. i mean it's been a minute but yeah i can revisit i can revisit that awesome. uh, verhoeven right yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah yeah let's do it okay. robocop
0: sounds good well we will sign off